Welcome to Lesson Impossible, an exploration of educational innovation. I'm your host, Aviva Levin. As always, I'm chatting with educators of all types who are on the forefront of pedagogy or making effective changes to old practices. Your lesson, should you choose to accept it, is to find ways to incorporate gamification and game-based learning into your teaching practice. The special agent assigned to help you with this task is Batsheva Frankel of the Overthrowing Education podcast. As some of you may already know, there's a page on LessonImpossible.com with links to all my recommended educational podcasts. But Sheva Frankel's podcast, Overthrowing Education, was one of the first that I added to that page, as it was one of the first educational podcasts that really enthralled me. But Sheva interviews educators from a variety of backgrounds, which she bookends with some unique elements, commercials for fake educational products like clarity drops for your implicit bias issues, an in-the-trenches segment where teachers share short anecdotes, and a five-minute game show where she tries to stump her guests with crazy questions. And if you listen to the end of the episode, I make her play my twist on her own game. I was thrilled to get a chance to chat with Batsheva, as among her specialties is a focus on game-based learning and gamification. If you're wondering what the difference is between the two, Batsheva goes into more detail, but I can give you some preliminary definitions and examples. If you listened to last week's Mini Meta Resource episode... I talked to Carrie Ray Hill about iCivics, which creates online games for students to put themselves in the shoes of voters and legislators. This would be game-based learning, as students learn content by playing a game. Next week's full-length Meet a Resource episode is an interview with Sean Young of Classcraft, an app that weaves the completion of work and positive behaviors into a larger quest within a virtual world. This would be gamification, as learning is facilitated by using the elements of games that make them so fun and addictive. The week after that, I'll be talking to Jamie Bonato about teacher attrition and how to prevent it, which has nothing to do with games, but I couldn't pass up an opportunity for a little bit of promotion for an issue I think is super important. So, with all of that out of the way, my interview with Batsheva. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I was so excited to have a conversation with you today, and I'm sure my listeners will figure out exactly why after they've had a chance to listen to you as well, (laughs) but if you don't mind giving a brief introduction about yourself. So sure. Uh, I'm Batsheva Frankel, and I've been in education for about 25 years, and that was after I used to work in the film industry. But um, as I joke, I I gave it up for a more glamorous and lucrative career in education. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm really grateful. It's been an amazing journey as it continues to be. Uh, I've been working in a variety of kinds of schools, doing both teaching and administrative work. I'm an educational consultant and I give workshops and courses all over the country and throughout the UK. And uh, I have a podcast called Overthrowing Education, and that is uh, a joy. It's been a real joy. You're known in the education space for for quite a few things, but I think the most exciting one for me is your embrace of the gamification of, of lessons. 
and adding that as a, as a tool of engagement. And I was wondering if you could, A, explain what gamification is for any listeners that don't know and sort of what your experience with it has been. Sure. So the first thing I would actually add is that um, I love gamification, but I also love game-based learning. That is massive passion of mine. And I've even created my own educational games that I sell um, that deal with big philosophical issues. And uh, it, they're, but they're really fun at the same time. And I think that that's the key for both game-based learning and gamified learning. And I'll explain sort of the differences of those two in a minute. But I think the thing that is so overwhelmingly important about both of those is that it adds so much joy to the learning. And when our hearts are open and we're joyful, we are more open to learning. So I think that that's, you know, just one of the amazing benefits of doing it. And also when the teacher is having fun and when the teacher is joyful, then that also really, you know, brings the students in and creates a, a, a stronger relationship. So the difference really is game-based learning is when you use actual games in learning. Now, those could be out-of-the-box games that are already created that can be repurposed for educational purposes or they could be educational games. I myself create games. And one of the things that I'm sort of known for, the, the layer that I add for game-based learning, is that I, I teach teachers how to create really great critical thinking games. And I teach teachers how to teach their students to create these critical thinking games that can be used to express, you know, as an assessment to express what they know. It can be used to reinforce learning. Uh, many, many purposes. So that's game-based learning. And I, it's like one of my favorite things to do. Then there's gamified learning, which is also incredible, which is just taking the engines of game playing and applying them to their lessons. I'm actually working with a school right now, working with a teacher at a school on something that I call battle of the big ideas. That's really a great gamification of history. Like if you're, t if one is teaching history, I've also used it when I taught a Shakespeare class and it's a way to gamify the entire curriculum or a lesson. You know, when you, when one gamifies, it can be short term, it can be long term and there's many, many different ways to do it and different purposes for it. So what I always say is that when someone wants to explore how to gamify or do game-based learning, the key to all of it is understanding what the learning goals are first. So once we ask those questions and we answer those questions, what are my learning goals? What are the outcomes I'm looking for? What are the skills and the knowledge that I want students to have to, to master? Then I can decide how to gamify or use game-based learning. What are the tools that I should use? Of both gamifying and game-based learning, do you have a, a favorite that you've worked on from either category or both? First of all, for, for gamified learning, there's like short-term. So for instance, um, I've done assessments before where what I do is instead of giving a final in the class, I have all the students come up with different categories of questions about the material that we covered, whether I'm doing a whole semester's worth or it's just, uh, you know, what we just finished. 
And they have to come up with really good questions. And the, one of the ways that I do that to help students learn about how to, how to create great questions, how to think of great questions, is to um, use a method that I've developed called lenses of questioning. And it helps students come up with a wider variety of kind of deeper critical thinking, analytical thinking questions. So they apply that sort of method and they each come up with bunch of questions in each category. And what we do is we put them all, you know, depending on the category, put it in a bag for a paper bag or something for each category. And then the students roll a die that says what color, because each of the categories has a color that's associated with it. And so what I can tell as a teacher is, first of all, I look at the questions that are asked, the Students turn those into me, and I see what questions they came up with. And I can tell a lot about how much they understand the material by the kinds of questions that they come up with. And these are not closed-ended sort of comprehension questions. These are like deeper leading to discussion questions that deal with different aspects depending on the kind of question they're asking. So that's the first thing I can see. And then when the students answer the questions, I can also see how much they understand as they engage in their open-ended answer, which can lead to discussions and debates. So through that whole conversation and discussion that the students are having, as it relates to, you know, answering that question, I can learn so much more about the depth of their understanding or not understanding than I would have if I had just given some kind of test. So I love doing, that's, that's a way to gamify an assessment. Now, I can also do another, one of my favorite game-based, using it as an assessment, was we did something at Arate Preparatory Academy, where I teach. We did something called Symposium. It's a longer discussion. People can listen to my podcast if they want to know <laughs> what Symposium is. But the bottom line is that the students were studying political movements, and they were able to choose within broader political movements a topic that they were really interested in, and they researched it. And then they had to present it to everyone else, including parents and community. And they did it through creating a game. In the playing of the game, people would be able to understand what that political philosophy was or what that aspect of the political philosophy was. And so the games were really fun, but they were also really deep. And they showed us that these students really understood what these were, and it taught everybody else about their topic and their idea, their thesis idea. So to me, that's really exciting, and I love doing that. I'd say, because I've tried to use both methods in my classroom, and the one warning that I have for teachers is that you get super invested in it, or at least I do. So I had one unit in my senior French class where um, I held like a series of escape rooms or murder mysteries. Mm. And then the final project was that the students had to, in groups of like three to five, stage an escape room or, or mystery for us to all solve as a class. 
and then it involved like interpersonal because they had like, we had to ask them questions to gather the next clue and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And like, I found myself like wanting to push my students aside so I could like get to the clue first. And I was like, (laughs) no, no, Aviva, you need to, this is their learning experience. (laughs) But like, I, I mean, I really try to follow the philosophy of never make an assessment that you're not at least kind of excited to mark, but that I got too excited <laughs> for some of them. <laughs> yeah, for those of us who have uh, competitive natures, <laughs> that is challenging. So you do have to kind of back off when uh, it's your students and they're creating this thing that's really cool and you have to l- allow the other students to enjoy it. But sometimes, you know, sometimes it's okay to insert ourselves into the game play. Sometimes that really adds to it. We need, to, we need to allow them room to play and grow and learn. So <laughs> Absolutely. And as you know, I, I would always raise my hand too. And if I was propping it up like the most eager kid in the class and being like, pick me, pick me. Then, you know, <laughs> the kids would eventually be like, okay, Madame Levin, we know you have a question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's great. I think the enthusiasm, I mean, I loved what you described. And I also was very lucky to have a super creative French teacher in high school. And it makes such a huge difference in well, in any topic that we're learning when, because it's something that students don't ever forget. They'll be like, I remember that time in Madame Levin's class when we did the escape room. And oh, she so pushed cool. me to the ground so that she could get to the key <laughs> she first. Me over. <laughs> I the star I will never forget. <laughs> No, hopefully not. Hopefully not like that. Before I kind of understood any of the philosophical ideas behind game-based learning and and game playing, in my first year of teaching when I, I mean, not that I know so much now, but in my first year of teaching, it was really just all on instinct. Everything was on instinct. And I did this uh, simulation game with my students, and it was a, a history class. And towards the end of the year, when I saw that I was not going to get through my content as far as I wanted, which we've all experienced, um, I quickly parsed out a bunch of things that were happening in this historical time period. And the students, they were eighth graders, they had to pick topics that they thought would might be really interesting, and they had to research it and then present it. And they had to come to me and do the lesson plan. So this one group came to me and they said, we want to do a simulation like what you did, like how you did that. And I kind of guided them in it, but mostly they came up with the idea themselves. And it was profound. It was, it was so amazing. And this one student, I'll never forget, I hate this, and this is why I'm so about going gradeless these days. But she was like, but I'm a C student and, you know, whatever. But at the end of it, she's like, I can't believe that I'm a C student and I came up with this. It was amazing. <laughs> and I was like, well, first, I mean, not even getting into the issue about the grades and the self-identifying, but how freeing was it for her creativity and her imagination and her cleverness in a way that was never able to be expressed before because she maybe wasn't good at tests and quizzes and whatever, but here she was presenting this lesson plan that I still, this is, you know, 20 however years later, I'll have students, former students come up to me. They're like in their 30s and they're telling me, do you remember that simulation that that group did about this subject? And that's amazing. And I love that it was the students who created it. 
There's so much creativity that teacher-centered classrooms just never get to experience when all you're doing is focusing on the creativity of the teacher. Because even the most enthusiastic creative teacher, we all have our, our own wheelhouses and we all have our own gaps in knowledge or levels of competitiveness that we're comfortable with. But turning that over to students to then do, you get to see some really amazing things that you would never even think to do. It's really, really true. And I love to be surprised and amazed by my students. Like, how exciting is that? I try to give a lot of options for um, when I teach history at the end of the year for ways of showing uh, their knowledge. And I started offering uh, make, make a game option. And I was like, oh, no kids are going to take that. Like, it's so much work. But they do take it because there's the fun in it. I mean, don't get me wrong. The kids that completely rewrote all the lyrics to Hamilton to apply to <laughs> Louis Riel and made us attempted to make us sit there for the entire run of the play. They were very creative too. But yeah. the game, yeah, I was I was very blown away by the game for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. My son is like his whole world is about programming and coding and creating uh, video games. And he's been doing it for a long time. He's uh, just turned 15. And he has teachers now who are tapping into that. And I'm so excited by that, that he, like, he's been working for the last week, creating this awesome game about medieval times that, like, dealing with what they were dealing with and, you know, what they were studying in history. And the game is so cool. And he's worked so hard on it. I guarantee you he would not have worked that hard on <laughs> whatever, you know, studying for some test or whatever. And now when, you know, when other kids play the game, it reinforces, once again, it reinforces what they learned in the playing of the game. And that's really the goal. It's reinforcing the knowledge. It's being able to assess the knowledge. And so... It's, you know, it's great. And then when you use gamified learning, it's a way to give the content over. It's a way for the students to access the content in a new and different and exciting way. It's a way to make it super relevant to them and, and involve them in it instead of just being like sort of passive recipients of, you know, the teacher's wisdom they are actually developing the skills. Like, for instance, in the history game that we're doing called Battle of the Big Ideas, it's really a whole way of approaching history that is completely absorbing the students in the bigger issues that, you know, permeate all of history, whatever the section is, whether it's Battle of the Big Ideas, American history or world history or, you know, whatever the subject is. And it's such a fun way to really dig in. And so the research that the students do in order to be able to play this game and everything, it's, it's very exciting for them because there's different kinds of goals that they're, you know, there's, they're battling it out. They're doing all kinds of creative stuff. So it's really, for me, it's just kind of the way to go. For teachers that are listening and saying like, yes, I want to include that into my classroom, 
would you recommend starting small with like a a Jeopardy afternoon or jumping right in? Like what would be the steps to incorporating this into their practice? So I'm going to be honest. I'm not like a huge fan of like the Jeopardy, you know, like just change the question thing. Like that's good, but like pretty much everybody, you know, people do that. That's great. And there isn't anything wrong with it. It really isn't. But I look for doing this to lead to deeper learning. That's my goal. Kind of, I would say start slowly, you know, definitely add elements of gamified learning, kind of build that culture, um, or you can jump in. I mean, I, again, before I knew what I was doing, I was jumping into, you know, just jumping into it. There's so much information also, I'm sure, on the internet about how to do it. John Cassie is an expert on this, on gamified learning. So there's, you know, there's a lot of people to look to who do this, but definitely this is something that I do and I teach and I'm happy to, you know, if any teachers or schools want to reach out to me, they can, and I can help them. In your own practice, what would you say have been some of your biggest successes and what are some struggles? Well, I would say my biggest successes are all about creating student-based learning and using my creativity and harnessing the creativity of the students. And really, like I said, creating deeper learning. I think that that's something that I've really been able to hone. And I also appreciate that there's constant growth to do. I'm learning something every day. So for me, it's successful to learn something new. And, you know, even after 25 years, there's so much more to learn. And right now, I think the biggest challenge for me, because I, I'm really right now what I'm working, I'm working with teachers and schools to, uh, I'm doing a lot of work during this time of the pandemic for how to create student engagement in the online sphere. I think that's, you know, that's kind of the biggest challenge I'm thinking about is what are we going to do for the next school year and how to make it work and the bigger systematic changes that, you know, need to be addressed for, you know, the rest of our educational lives. Like it, there's so many big issues that I was already fighting for, but then became even more pronounced during this pandemic time that we really need to deal with. And so to me, those are the challenges is how do we make real systemic changes in our education system? And then on the ground as well, like on a practical level, how can I make this work? I know. So your podcast is Overthrowing Education. And I ask this a lot of the teachers that I interview that talk about wanting to make systemic change, which is, can we do it from the inside or do we need to burn it down and start again? <laughs> In spite of the fact that my podcast is called Overthrowing Education, I don't think we need to burn it down and start again. But I do think we need to look at some of our, you know, sacred cows and, and really reconsider whether we need to hold on to those 
and how we need to change them, shift them. There's a lot of good that's happening out there. There's a lot of teachers who are doing amazing things and a lot of schools that are doing like incredible things. Uh, in my in one of my recent episodes, I talked to a school who started going gradeless. They started the school as a gradeless feedback-based school. Now, the school I work for has been gradeless for a while, but it didn't start out that way. It kind of we kind of saw the the value in it. So I think that it can happen both on an individual teacher by teacher basis where they just start doing these things in their classroom, these different practices, bringing, you know, as much as they can. And then hopefully also, you know, coming from the outside in, we need to get together all of our voices and say, this is what needs to happen. Right? If enough people talk about equity in education, which is so crucial right now, if enough people talk about the importance of changing the way we grade students, if we talk about the importance of authentic assessments, and we keep that conversation going. So I think it's kind of the answer is both. It can come from an individual we can be the match. We can be that little light that lights up that dark place, right? It can be the parents. It can come from the parents too. Understanding what great education could and should be, that's like the first key. Once we get that, once we understand that, once we even see that, because we can't even understand what great education could be if we don't see it or hear someone talk about it. So it's really up to us not only to implemented in our classrooms or in our schools, but to shout it from the rooftops, like, you know, work with other people. Twitter is an amazing place. I used to be like one of those, um, I will never be on Twitter people. And I'm really sad because I've missed out on years of amazing conversations with other educators about what they're doing. And I've learned so much from just, you know, seeing what people all over the world are doing. It's exciting. So I highly recommend engaging with teachers all over to see what's possible and then to try it and see what happens. So along the same vein, when you're looking for inspiration in your own classroom, who are you talking to or looking to to, to follow their lead? I always think it's great. And I've always done this where, you know, there's always a teacher that you sort of admire and you try to sit in on their class. I think it's great when we can observe each other. I think we learn a lot. And sometimes you learn what not to do, <laughs> which is also valuable. And I think, like I said, I've been amazed at the, the educators and what they're posting on Twitter. Uh, there's so many good podcasts out there like yours, which I Ooh, love. Thank you. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's awesome. And mine, which I also love. <laughs> and there's so many more. That are so I would suggest to people to find podcasts that they connect with. Um, try a whole bunch of them. I mean, there's just there's there's even really niche ones. If you want to know more about technology, there's ones that just focus on using technology. If you're a first year teacher, there are some that just focus on you know that experience as a first year teacher. So there's something kind of for everybody out there. And I wish that there was something like that when I started teaching or even like I'm grateful that it exists now because it's such an incredible resource. We just, when I was started teaching, it was, those things didn't exist. I mean, there was no such thing as a podcast and, you know, we were barely just 
you know, emailing each other. So <laughs> it's, 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 you know, it's a new world out there. I remember when I always used to go early in my career and um, try to find on the internet to see what other people were doing and, and kind of be inspired by seeing something. You, you know, I wouldn't necessarily copy it, although sometimes I've taken lessons that people have offered up. And, but you always make it your own or you get inspired by it. So that's even easier now. I mean, it's so easy to do now. Then it, I really had to dig and whatever. But now it's just, there's so much out there. It's an exciting time. It really, really is. There is no lack of great mentors out there, whether they be online or in schools around. I also like how the stigma for using other people's lessons has lessened, no pun intended, but (laughs) we're realizing that our time as teachers is precious and that we don't need to reinvent the wheel. And if someone has like built the framework and we can fill it in with our own style of delivery or modify it for the skills that we're specifically targeting, but this idea that you have to be slaving away every night to make your own individual from scratch lesson is, is not the best use of our time because there are no. so many teach- amazing teachers out there. Yeah, no, it's absolutely, it, it doesn't make any sense. And it's so wonderful when teachers are sharing their materials or they're sharing their ideas. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I'm on some Facebook groups where people are sharing ideas and resources. And I've, I've sent whole curricula to a teacher who was like, does it, does anybody have anything on this? And I'm like, let me tell you, I've developed an entire, <laughs> you know, with lesson plan, like really detailed lesson plans and everything that anybody could use. And I'm like, here it is. You know, I think it's really, it just, you know, when one wins, we all win. So now I'm going to give you a taste of your own medicine. I mean, engage you in a fun game. Um, do I get to decide which one of those it is yes (laughs) so on your podcast you have a very fun game for your guests the uh, five minute game show and what my five minute game show is there's going to be five questions and the idea is we're reimagining game show hosts as teachers Oh my gosh. You're going to start writing these for me, it sounds like. That's, like that's totally something I would do. Okay. Game show hosts as teachers. Okay. And so two points per question, um, one for the name of the host and one for the name of the show. First question. This teacher loves teaching their students reading and writing one letter at a time. With the help of their educational assistant, Ms. White, they get kids spelling correctly every time. Oh my gosh. This is, I feel like I could have written that. That was awesome. Oh, thank uh, you. It's, um, it's, um, <laughs> it is Pat Sajak and Wheel of Fortune. Yay, two points. <laughs> Woohoo. Next question This teacher is a generalist and thinks that writing and delivering tests is the best part of their job. However, they often end up giving the answers to students instead of the questions. (laughs) Okay, Jeopardy and Alex Trebek. Lovely. Two more points. (laughs) 
I think it's going to, it may go south from here because I think those are the two that I know. <laughs> so I'm a little worried. At, at, like you, you got the two I know and now I'm a little worried. Okay. Okay. I'll give you some hints if you need it. Okay. So the next three questions have uh, either two hosts or have historically had one host to now have a different host. So I'll accept any host that you name. Got it. This teacher teaches drama and loves to give their students improv challenges. They give a lot of feedback, but don't really believe in assessment as they keep saying the points don't matter. (laughs) (laughs) Drew Carey, and uh, one version of it, I should say, is Drew Carey, whose line is it anyway? Exactly. I would also have accepted Ayesha Tyler. <laughs> okay, next question. This teacher teaches home economics with a heavy focus on the economics part. They make sure that students know everything from the cost of a can of beans to an entire bedroom set. <laughs> it's Bob Barker, The Price is Right. Absolutely. Also would have accepted Drew Carey, the answer from the previous one. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And then this one, I admit, it's a little, it might be a little bit tough, but it is one of my favorite game shows. So I had to throw it in there. This teacher loves their job teaching PE, but some students think they make their classes way too hard. In 11 years of teaching, only three students have successfully completed their course. Okay, I know it's the the ninjas. Yes, American Ninja Warrior. But I don't know who the host is because I've only seen it once because a friend of mine's son was on it. Wow. So, yeah. So the hosts are Matt Eisman or Akbar Bajabayamila, which I listened to multiple YouTube videos to make sure I knew how to pronounce it. And I think I might have still messed it up. <laughs> Um, but yes, nine out of 10. Congratulations. Awesome. Wow. I wish I had some Lesson Impossible merch to, to send your way, but once that, if that ever gets developed, I'll belatedly send that to you. I will be happy to have it. (laughs) And yeah, I just want to say thank you so much again from, for sharing your experience, uh, with me today. And I, I really enjoyed our conversation. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I was really excited to be on your show and I loved playing your game show. That was great. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that was Agent Batsheva Frankel with how gamification and game-based learning brings creativity, engagement, laughter, and joy to the classroom. This episode will not self-destruct in five seconds, but will be available along with links to resources we mentioned and information about previous special agents at LessonImpossible.com. Now, if you like the podcast, please consider forwarding it to your colleagues or reading and reviewing it on your podcast listening app. This has been Lesson Impossible, and I was your host, Aviva Levin.